In a world where Bill Jameis is the god king of the Marvel Universe, he flexes his powers to create a comic that defies all logic and explanation. Is Marvel a thinly veiled jab at the distinguished competition, or is it an outright creationist screed that attempts to solve the mysteries of the universe by showing how everything comes together one agonizing molecule at a time? Was this merely just a doomed launch pad for a new line of creator-owned comics that would give writers the freedom to be as rambling and as incoherent as Jameis himself? Or was it Jameis openly begging to have his contract terminated early so he can collect on that sweet severance package? The answer, dear listeners, may very well be all of the above, so join Nick and Bruno as technical difficulties force them to relive the worst day of their lives again and again as they suffer through 2002's Marvel numbers 1 through 7 on this week's defeated episode of... Oh God, it burns. Alright, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, this, my name is Dick. My name's Bruno. And this is... Oh, oh God, it burns. burns! And today it burns extra hard, not only because we're talking about the dumpster shit fire called Marvel, but because we had just recorded an entire podcast talking about this shit fire dumpster sandwich, and then it was unable to save, unable to write. I tried copy pasting it, backing it up, and nothing worked. So here we are talking about this one again. It's going to be a fast one. Even your computer didn't want to deal with the shitstorm. <laughs> so we talked about the You Decide in the last episode, uh, where it was like this big thing where Peter David accused Marvel Comics of not giving him his due, so then they kind of splintered off. Joe Quesada had Ron Zimmerman do Ultimate Adventures. Uh, <laughs> Peter David relaunched Captain Marvel with Criss Cross, uh, not the rapper, <laughs> the artist. And then Bill Jameis was just like, you know what? I'm a smart guy. I can do this shit myself. So he made this comic, and basically what it looked like the premise would be was it was going to be a nothing but a bunch of pot shots at DC Comics because Marvel is a take on Smallville, yeah. which was the origin of Superman. Even the cover was a riff off of the promotion that they used for the Smallville show. It had a character with an M uh, on there, and he's just hanging there, scarecrow-like, just like in the production of Marvel. Uh, I mean, in Smallville. So it looked very much like a shot-for-shot takedown of DC. And, you know, you turn over the first page, and Bill Jemis does the job that no comedian should ever do, and he prints pretty much all the references to his jokes. Every single joke he makes in here is a reference to something else, and he's just like, okay, but if you're, if you're going to laugh at this joke, you need to understand a few things. And then it's nothing but a page of him explaining everything. And For the first two issues, all he does is explain his in-jokes. And I got to say, these first two issues were actually enjoyable to me because I was a fanboy during this time. And everything that he was doing was so emblematic of what the Bill and Joe adventures were and pissing off Paul Levitz. And I think one of my favorite quotes that either him or uh, uh, Joe Quesada said at the time was just like ripping on DC. They were like, how do you have characters like Superman and Batman and not get them in the top uh, number one slot? That's like being a porn star with the biggest dick and not knowing how to fuck. And that was basically the climate of all this stuff that was going on at the time. They were always ripping on DC, and every time they would mention them, they'd rip to them AOL Comics because AOL Time Warner was the thing that bought up DC Comics and Warner Brothers and stuff. Which is actually really ironic because nowadays, I mean, at the time, yes, AOL owned everything. And uh, nowadays we have uh, Marvel, which is owned by Disney, and Disney owns... Pretty much almost all of our childhood. I mean, they just got Fox, so they have the Simpsons, they have the X-Men. Mm -hmm. 
Um, we're waiting on them to buy Sony and fix the Spider-Man situation. But in the meantime, they own the Star Wars property, uh, including freaking all everything that George Lucas has ever touched. But yeah, but it's pretty interesting to me that for a long time, uh, Bugs Bunny owned DC Comics. And now Mickey Mouse owns Marvel Comics. That, <laughs> that was basically how everything went. That's fair. And for those of you that don't know uh, what AOL is, uh, back in the days of dial-up, we used to get a disc in the mail or on the street. Pretty much anywhere you looked, you'd find a disc, and it would give you so many hours of free internet. And uh, so that you wouldn't have to actually buy internet, you just put in a CD, load it, and then when your time ran out, you could pay for a subscription, which really only people's grandfathers and grandmothers did that. Yeah. Everyone else just went and got more discs. And uh, I think even uh, that uh, Zimmerman took a pot shot at that. They did. His ultimate adventure. He was just like, that. hey, dude, you can get a million free hours. So he's just like, hey, Hawkeye, thank you so much. Here you go. Here's a disc for a million free hours. And then it was, that was pretty funny, but that was also ripping off the times and everything. Yeah. So getting back to this actual story, the first two issues are, uh, actually, the first issue kind of opens up in a future where AOL and Time Warner owns all of the planet because everyone sold their shares of the planet to AOL and, and they I bought mean, up it's everything. It's not even a clever parody because it's like Planet AOL and a runner is Ted And there's Turner. a dog named AOL Stro. Yeah, like, <laughs> like there's no hu- like there's no subtle humor in this. And and the, the main character's name is Cal LOL. Yeah. So they just call him Al after a bit. But yeah, then, so then they uh, decide, see a meteor shower coming down. It's destroying all of existence. So Ted Turner decides to send his only son back in time to figure out where everything went wrong. Because and, they couldn't come up with a spaceship to evacuate the whole planet. But they had a time machine that fit one. And they sent their son. Not their, like, infant son. But, like, their teenage slash, like, I still picture him as, like, John C. Riley and Step Brothers or mm. Will Ferrell. Do just, not touch my drums. Or like, he's just rubbing his balls on the drums. Yeah, just, Either one will do it. Like He's just their slacker son that hasn't gone anywhere because in the future, no one needs to work. It's all AOL money. Yep. And he sends them back in time and he comes into uh, what is mainstream or uh, Marvel's Universe 616. Uh, and where, where he does absolutely nothing. It's him and his dog. His dog's there too. But he does absolutely nothing but come across things that end up getting him rich because he's a white guy in the past and that every time he just walks past something, like the robber that was robbing a bank slipped on his dog's drool puddle or something, yeah. then he gets a $2 million reward because they stole $2 million from the bank. Here you go. And that was like a running joke throughout the first two issues was every single time he would get money from the stupidest shit. Now, how do you say that's not a superpower? Like walking into a place, here's $2 million. I would love that power. Yeah. <laughs> Because he sure didn't have any other powers. No, no. In fact, he thought he did, and he tried doing all the Superman stuff. Nothing like worked. Found out real quickly he didn't have super. He can't fly. He can't do anything. He's just an average dude who has the ability to get money anytime he wants by just walking. And he's also a guy able to annoy his cab driver, who's super hot, into following him around and possibly falling in love with him. We don't know because there was never really story no. <laughs> that went with no, this. No, it was just bad character interaction, almost like an SNL skit. And then right around the part where they would be like, and uh, live from New York, it's Saturday Night Live. Instead, we get live from New York, here's creationism. Yep. (laughs) So they set up the first bit. They go through a couple cameos where they go and see the Kingpin. It's really Spike Lee. I'm just 
Dude, I'm so tired of talking about this fucking thing. And like, it's just it's just one cameo after another, <laughs> and every time he runs into a cameo, it's like uh, he has a little running joke. Oh, uh, what can I say? I'm typecast. That was the the big running punchline. So he would draw mm. someone from Taxi driving a taxi. Yeah, Spike Lee was actually the kingpin. But this was actually like a full two or three years before Michael Clark Duncan was the kingpin. Yeah, and also like <laughs> they were kind of ripping on. WB too about how WB owns everything and now nowadays is like of course we saw Michael Clark Duncan was the kingpin and also Disney owns all of Marvel and almost all of the world so it's just like almost everything that Bill Jemis is setting up has a real world like antecedent for it so it's almost like he was the wise sage Jemis who was just predicting everything that would happen in this world except he wasn't a sage he was a madman and honestly the way this this whole book just precedes it he was it's like someone going insane and then finding enough sanity to realize that they're going insane before jumping back off the deep end. Yeah. That's literally what this entire uh, miniseries... So the first two was. issues are actually, to me, pretty enjoyable. I mean, you even mentioned that on the last podcast. You are like, I really like these two issues. They're a welcome break from Zimmerman. Adventures. Because at least they knew that they were trying to do a parody and they were trying to be funny. And it was low-hanging fruit just like literally like scary movie funny but they weren't trying to be clever about it they named the freaking character cal aol they named the dog aol astro and Uh, just like there was one time like i was walking in the park with my wife and we came across this nice old man we started talking a little bit and then after about like five minutes of talking he veered hard into jesus christ and even though this doesn't get into jesus christ as our savior territory this veers into like. Are you sure? Because we don't just, know what the hell. Jack I don't was. know what the hell was going on. I'm still flabbergasted. I know this wasn't a a uh, argument for religion, though. No. I know this wasn't an argument for the Bible. I know this wasn't an argument for like politics or anything. Like, and they actively I, I, trash I, I, all I these really things. think that this is like. But it makes this hard veer away from anything that's enjoyable, and it just becomes four issues, no, three issues of just tedious horseshit, where you literally watch a cell come together for an entire issue. And then at the very, very end, issue number six, he doesn't even bother putting new content in there. He just recaps everything that came before it. Yep, that's pretty much... The- Oh, Jesus Christ, we're doing this again. <laughs> I know, I know, man. Um, we're already ten minutes in, and already it feels like four hours of talking about this. Guys, I know that you were not there for the first one. This is just a tribute. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Tenacious D. You gotta believe me, and I wish you were there, so I wouldn't have to say this again. Oh, fuck! <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I, I I think honestly, it's kind of like the world according to Bill Jemis. It's like there was he had gone absolutely crazy, it, and we kind of knew that he was a crazy eccentric character to begin with, and then he got fired from Marvel not too long after this, and I think this is where he finally snapped, spiraling, yeah. and then it was just like he just felt his oats too much to I, steal a, a phrase from this actual comic. He felt his oats too much, and then he just, just like felt invincible, and that whatever he could do would be the greatest thing ever. And this was the first giant, glaring crack in that Bill Jemis yeah, persona. Yeah, I mean, it, like your story, or like when you go out and you run into people that are you, you have a conversation with, and it seems to go on too long, and then all of a sudden, like, 
tell me what you think about spirituality. That's where this turns. Like, it, it takes a weird turn because the premise is that he's trying to figure out how to get back to his time. Uh, and he has a time machine. So he takes his time machine and he runs into this character, Jack. This uh, black man who may or may not be God, Jesus, or the Holy Trinity. He will not tell you it. anything. He won't In tell fact, you anything. In fact, I don't think Jameis knows who he is. He's just kind of there. And at that point, all the characters just become mouthpieces. They yeah. stop becoming characters. Not that they were super fleshed out characters to begin with. But no. It's just one theory after the next. Like, They're just asking questions while they watch a cell come together. Or Al, all he does is ask questions. Mickey this is there to disagree and present the more scientific-based version of, like, this doesn't make sense. And then you've got Jan or Janice or whatever the... Who gives the a cop shit? cop who was... Who cares what like her name is? Yeah, she's there to just agree with God and be like, I never thought of it like that. And this is, this is great. And it's... I, I, at first, again... At first, when I read this, I thought this was, like, a parody in the wake of, like, Futurama, where they run into not-quite-God, and he shows them that the universe runs by itself, and really, he's just there to, like, lend a light hand, but he doesn't need to get involved. But then he says he has no powers, but shrinks them down to the molecules, to the size of a molecule, so they could see a molecule being born. Yep. Um, And he literally narrates everything through creation... And the only saving grace is if you read that and you picture Morgan Friedman's voice coming out of Jack. I couldn't even get that as a savings grace. <laughs> there was no saving grace. But it, even then, halfway through, they drop the Jack character and it becomes about the time machine that yeah. where they they go to the next thing is Jurassic Park and we get to meet dinosaurs. And I thought that was going to be interesting because it turns out that the dinosaurs aren't stupid, like, prehistoric creatures. They actually creatures. use 100% of their brain. Yes, even though and they, they ha- talk. Even though they all have have civilization, basically. Even though they have a peanut-sized brain, because we only use ten percent of our massive. Do you say penis size or peanut? Either way. (laughs) (laughs) But I know you meant to say peanut because he he made a he made like he like drew an outline of a peanut, and then he said penis-sized brain, which is more enjoyment than I've gotten out of this entire fucking thing. Yes, but thanks to their peanut-sized brain (laughs) that they use a hundred percent of, they can talk. And they have a society, and they decided that much like freaking uh, Bruce the shark, our heroes are friends, not food. And they protect them from other dinosaurs, and then they rescue an otter from this time period and leave him in the time machine. And he morphs into Wolverine. And he morphs into Wolverine, but not quite. He doesn't look anything like Wolverine, but he says, bub. And they call him Wolverine. He looks like some a mix between Kazar and Commandy, the freaking the two cavemen from the DC uh, from DC and Marvel respectively fused together because um, it's like Commandy's boyhood face with the pushed back hair and then Kazar's like loincloth sveltness and that's it and then it turns out that we're all Wolverine's grandkids because essentially because he's the first human he's the first human and it, uh, and then also uh, humans never warred with Neanderthals they just had sex until they got out within a generation yep. like it's all like the entire thing is this dry where it's going through and she's like, well, scientists think this, but we know it's this. Scientists also think this, but we know it's this. Scientists also think this, but we know it's this. So there's three issues of him literally telling us, like, scientists want to distract you with facts from believing what you know is true in your gut. But he, the way he goes about it is in the most annoying and dry and, and just not interesting. And some of the question. facts are like the equivalent of like the primordial soup was made out of mustard and yellow dye number five. Like that equivalent of like this is nonsensical. Mm. Um, 
And then we get on to... Wait, did you say yellow dye number five? So we're back on small penises, right? (laughs) (laughs) Surge? (laughs) Still more interesting. You know, they're selling Surge at Burger King. Are they? I went to... uh, (laughs) Listen, we've already talked about this fucking thing. I'm talking to Bruno. (laughs) Like, sorry, listeners. (laughs) But I went to Burger King for an impossible burger, which was good, by the way. Still not healthy. Not at all. <laughs> no, not even but a little bit. But it tastes good. But I went there and I uh, went to go just get some water for my uh, my water cup because I try not to do like sugary drinks or anything. Especially if I'm drinking some, eating something from Burger, Burger King. I need to offset that shit, not compound it. And the first thing I saw, they had new Surge flavors up there. So when we're talking yellow number five, small penises, hey. <laughs> it's back, baby. <laughs> Um, so then we get to early, distraction over <laughs> yeah, early man and uh, society and Wolverine uh, fighting other clans and their fights are basically giant tangents where one dude punches another dude in the ball they Rochambeau essentially yeah and then like the one standing yay they throw a party no one they actually, do it all for the girls no one it's actually all dies. Girls. it's all for the girls and then we get to meet these two sons and that one funny scene where the guy's like, I'm going to whoop, you want to go He's just like, I'm going to wear that ass right off. And then there's like, they, they were talking about like, every society has the good son and then the worthless son. So they talk about the good son who stays within the community, lives with the family, and builds up the community, and the worthless son who leaves. But that, that son is also a vector because that son will travel to other places, sow his wild oats, and then they start building civilizations all across the world, and that's how it goes in. Isn't this a fun comic? Yeah, and then we get to the whole pageantry of war <clears throat> and the two forces that are behind the war using the idea of we need sacrifices, even though we just had a war, and they become parables for church and politics and then we get little cuts through how church and politics evolve through the timeline and we get to essentially modern time and then we're at uh issue that's pretty much like the end of issue number five yeah so to recap first two issues they're ripping dc comics a new asshole and they also poke fun at peter david and they take they take some pot shots at marvel characters we'll get into that they do yeah we'll, we'll get into that for sure which those first two issues i got no problem with that's a decent parody issue three it takes a really weird turn where all of a sudden uh, it's not even a regular comic it's just a bunch of painted pictures and then there's a script over it and then in letters that really don't make sense for it so it's kind of hard to read at the same time but it's like there's a big structural difference that we see in there that just lasts for this one issue but the whole issue is them going back in time talking with this guy who may or may not be god and watching a cell grow yeah, that, that. And then issue number four, they run into uh, the cell that evolves into like a duck-billed dinosaur guy. And they got to hang out with them and see how dinosaurs evolved and stuff like that. And then they grow up a wolverine and their thing. And then issue number five is nothing about how societies evolve into warring tribes and other stuff like that using politics and religion. And then issue number six saves us all the trouble of reading any of that by dedicating the entire issue to just recapping all of the points in super concise bullet points throughout the entire issue. And it does so without even a scrap of original artwork. It's all repurposed artwork from the issues before. So we could have feasibly just read this one issue 
and gotten the full effect. Actually, I would still read the first two issues and then skip to number six and you would have understood everything you need to say and you would be like, I got no closure on anything. This story made no sense, but at least it was a story instead of reading issues three, four, and five and then taking like, for a, a fucking ever just to get to wherever he was going. Yeah, and then the, it literally ties out at the end <clears throat> where um, the character Marvel is pitching his story his life story to an unknown person, which is essentially Bill Jamis himself. Or I, I like to think it's Axel Alonso talking <laughs> to Bill Jamis. <laughs> where I mean, he's just I like, mean, listen, th- we I, can't... I, real comic books are supposed to be fun, Bill. I, I think we can't the, have this thing where we're just talking about peace on Earth and and society and stuff like that. They have to be about something. I think that's what it... Like, we can interpret it now, but I think at the time it really was... It was, was Bill just, Jamis talking to himself and being like, yeah, you're right, I suck, but I'm still publishing this. And it's like, this is, this is about world peace. It has a message. Who cares if it's not actually a story or entertaining or logical? And, and here's the thing, too. Like, he does make a point at the end of issue five that, like, God does not exist as everyone thinks God exists. God exists as a force that ties together all these, like... Almost miracles are these one in a trillion shot mile like one in a trillion shot things, yeah. which I I tend to believe. Where it's just like, oh, cool. So it's just like God is a force that just like allows all these things to happen perfectly together. Like I do believe that. Yeah. If you would have just said that fucking shit and moved on to the next thing, we would have been okay, or, man. Or if he had tied it in a better way at the end. Where, like I said, I really thought that this was going to all build up towards, like, Futurama style, where God, this guy Jack, you know, shows him all of this, and then, you know, he goes on to kind of do, do his own thing, realize not realizing that, like, this force has been pushing him along. You know, just like in the freaking, in that one episode where, like, he's like, I can't help you, like, find your way home. You have to find it yourself. And he kind of pushes Bender without Bender realizing it and shifts and sends him home. <laughs> and I'm like that. That would have been brilliant. Like if that if it was this meta and like that was it. But no, that's way more credit like, than we credit than we actually got from Bill Jemis. No, it's just Bill Jemis arguing with himself in the last issue, recapping everything, and him like talking to Al and like Al, who is not Al Craven. Let's <laughs> grab his We're in Cal AOL, who goes by Al. And he's because he like, can't go by Cal. Yeah, and he's wearing his Marvel T-shirt or his costume that yeah. he like because the whatever. parents sent him back in a sweatsuit that said Marvel, and he wears it the entire time. Because except when they go skinny dipping with who may or may not be God. By the way, the other character's name was Lucy. It was Lucy. Who gives a shit? <laughs> and I well, I do because she we was were a, kind of like Jane, Janice, she was whatever. a cop, and then she was dressed like a hooker, and then she's on a sting, and they run into like random heroes, and I couldn't remember her name. And then it ends with Bill Jameis admitting that no one wants to read this, but you know what? I printed it anyway because I'm the publisher or I'm the president of Marvel Comics, and I can do what I want to do. And then he like writes this letter that's like essentially a send off of his next big agenda which is epic comics and then issue number seven is nothing about but how to create a pitch for epic comics i still never found issue i'm going to tell you i I, did they actually print out they did they printed i read it i did not find it it has all the marvel guidelines and everything that's really funny i i tried looking for it and i couldn't find it i mean probably not on the website you pirated this off of which by the way i try my best to get hard copies 
of every single thing I read for this, and I know Bruno does too. No, no, I do. But no, fuck you, I'm not buying this shit. No, <laughs> did you know that because of the Greg Horn covers, which feature like naked women on them, basically through the entire there's there's a first cover where it's just like, like it's a, the the takeoff to the, the takeoff to of Smallville, Smallville, and then, and then every the other cover them. is like a Mary Jane knockoff, like in the most ridiculously sexy pose. Which you would buy it just for that cover alone. Issue number five is marketing for like between fifty and seventy dollars on eBay, just because it's like a Mary Jane naked on the cover. You can see her butt, and it says Originville across the top of it. This is such an expensive series that I just like. You know what? I've got to read this online. I read it back in the day. I'm pretty sure I owned a couple of these copies. I have them, issues. but I don't remember seven. I actually looked for some of my old ones. I'm like, I That's did because buy no this one thing. bought it. People bought seven about as much as they bought the actual Epic line, That's which fair. it lasted for seriously two issues before they did like a collected edition. Because like even the end, even an the, anthology, an Epic anthology, which went nowhere itself. But even the last freaking letter says issue number seven is about you. <clears throat> so I thought that it was like in a spiritual session, like. Issue 7 is your issue to write. No, it's about how you can make a million dollars by joining me, Bill Jemis, on my next Marvel venture, Epic Comics. Mm -hmm. So before we really go in to talk about Epic, I, I want to put a bow on this turd after let's a just fucking get, let, hour and a half of talking about this shit. Let's just get to the only about 25 minutes to show for it right now. <laughs> We're going to go straight to the awards. So uh, first thing we're going to do is... Marvel Marvel won the award for going green excellence in recycling because the sixth issue was nothing but recycled artwork because the I, I have this theory that it sold so little that by the end Bill Jameis had to just like he couldn't pay the artist to keep continuing so he just like repurposed all the artwork from the first five issues and then had some character pinups that I'm pretty sure were just like character models before they get into you know how they do yeah. they're just like oh this is what this person is going to look like just put that in there is not an original drawing within this entire issue and nope. it's just like Bill talking to basically himself about how much it sucks but he's still going to do it anyway yeah. so going green <laughs> excellence in recycling right, good the, on you the Genesis award Wolverine is everyone's daddy he was the first man uh, and he basically fertilized all of what we know as modern man. That's about it. Huzzah! <laughs> Huzzah! We're all the only. By the way, Wolverine looked nothing like Wolverine. It confused me as much as I was still waiting for someone to pop a claw all or right. something. I have to point out. I, I guess at this point, uh, having mentioned this previously, uh, and then losing that mention, um, that the Genesis Award goes to Bill Jemis, who is also name dropped as one of the writers although not the main writer that would have been paul jenkins for wolverine origin so he actually did write the definitive origin of wolverine as we know it which didn't really answer any of wolverine's origins questions also later on in bill james's career he free sourced the bible and did a word for word translation of the book of Genesis. called uh, Yeah, he calls the software Bible Freeware. So he, that's what he did after Marvel let him go. This and, is and how again, he got out of his depression. And again, not because he's, he has like a huge like religious agenda. Just because I think he just wants to be able to troll people and be like, be like Fuck listen, you. that's not what the Bible said. This is what the Bible really said. But So we have this 
freaking his other take on Wolverine's origin, which makes you look at origin as so much better than it actually was because we could have gotten this crap instead. Yeah. Or Wolverine, the caveman who looks nothing like Wolverine, is just humping everybody, and he's Wolverine. He's our great, 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 great granddad. Yup, yup, yup. And then uh, I just did a ducky from uh, <laughs> Lame Before Time because yep, yep, yep. we got one of those duck bill dinosaurs in this. Uh, crossover. <laughs> uh, all right. And then we're getting to uh, this award, which uh, I literally, literally can't, can't even. So so here's the thing. Taking a cue from Ron Zimmerman, he par- but at least it's a straight-up parody. All the heroes that are mentioned, I mean, we get Spider-Man walking what looks like Aunt May across the street. Freaking uh, Matt Murdock as, as Matt Murdock, not as Daredevil, representing Marvel and getting him out of jail. And then um, in issue two, we start off with them taking a walk in the park uh, and him trying to figure out what he's going to do. And they meet this, like, dude in shorts that's just farting everywhere. And people are applauding every time he farts. Who's Rush Limbaugh? And it turns out it's Rush Limbaugh. And he's giving the whole speech. And they run into Peter David. Who's asking for money? Who's a homeless he, guy because he lost the uh, the contest? <laughs> lost the contest that Bill Jemis is in right now, and he's penniless. He can't be hired in the industry anymore. And also, according to the uh, the recap page, he has no fans. Yes. <laughs> so I mean, like I said, the parody was there for the first two issues. So, but Rush, this isn't even the I can't even. No, part. no, this no, is all set up. This is all it. set up for the I can't even. So after he meets Rush Limbaugh and. Gives one, uh, gives some money to Peter David. They walk off and they're held up by uh, these dudes. And in comes, only named in the cover as Batman. Never n- actually named in the comic book at, or addressed as Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, in comes Batman, who proceeds to like crack this dude so hard that his head goes in his stomach. And he's like, I'm. Here. And he's he's there because they're billionaire superheroes, and they don't want the lower class to have any money. Yeah. Like they're trying to keep everyone else from like instituting socialism and like getting money. So because if, they don't deserve it. One right? of the funniest jokes in this was when Batman proceeds <clears throat> to hit this dude um, so hard that his head goes in his stomach, and he goes, "I'm here to avenge what was done to my parents," and the guy goes, "I never hurt your parents." And he's like, it's symbolic. Yeah. And then... And then the- and then comes from the actual Marvel Universe, Iron Man and Black Panther. And this is where we literally can't even, because I'll let you take it away. Well, when he first comes in, Iron Man starts talking about how he like ruined the economy in the U.S. because he closed down the factory, moved everything to Mexico. And then Black Panther's like, well... Or they're like questioning him. He's like, what? What do you mean? They all work like... Nuh. <laughs> like almost That's dropping right. an end bomb. That's right. Iron Man almost dropped an end bomb. Talking about Mexicans working like, and then the Black Panther's like, just be careful. Like that's all he says I, as he's cracking these guys' skulls open. And was it like Iron Man also blasts this petty thief like with the repulsor rays, leaving him a skeleton? Oh, and Batman rips a dude's arm off, a black dude, I might add. And beats him with it. Which, and by then the way, holds if you look over here, it looks like it's an action figure arm, too. Yeah. There's no blood or anything. It's just, like, there's skin over a robot. So black people are robots, according uh, to Bill Jameis. I'm just going to take this to the most logical conclusion. I mean, I, Because I, what conclusion can you make? Well, they're robots that then become God. <laughs> <laughs> Is that not what we learned? Are the you not entertained? robots become Jake or Jack, or we're going to find out his name's, like, Bubba. 
<laughs> by how well we pegged Lucy. <laughs> no, it's actually it's actually Jack. It's Jack. They okay. refer to him as Jack. Because I'm like, I just don't give a shit because none of the characters are actually characters past issue number two. Yeah. The rest of it is like all the characters just there. And they're just to just voice and the story, Jemis's the mouthpiece. The story stuff. goes nowhere. The drops the parody. It drops the point. It's like someone. It's almost like he started writing a parody and then forgot, and someone handed him a script, like a pamphlet for creationism, and then he's like, oh, I gotta tie the two together. I got it. It'll, Let's have Iron Man say an N-word. It'll be a failed sales pitch at the end, and that's how we tie it all together. Yeah. It's a failed sales pitch. But there is one good thing we can say about this, and that's our golden kernel. It's all the Marvel in-jokes, which you would only fucking get if you were a petty Marvel fanboy from the year 2001, yeah. like myself. Like Bruno, yep. this is these first two issues were made for people like us. We're basically like new Marvel historians. Like, yeah. So I mean, there's a, a bunch of jokes. I mean, you get to see, like I said, you have uh, Matt Murdock um, trying to defend <clears throat> them. Punisher shows up. Um, all these little different little takes, like the, even the Iron Man and Black Panther. Um, they were put down by Rush Limbaugh. So I mean, there's a lot of social commentary that's put in there, but there's also a lot of funny in-jokes. And even the first couple of pages, like just the first introductory page where he explains all his jokes, and he does little barbs like, uh, one of my favorite was like, um, Batman, uh, lost his parents at a young age, uh, went ahead and fought crime, hijinks to follow. Peter Parker, lost his father, his family at a young age, you have great power, great responsibility, hijinks to follow. Superman comes to Earth, uh, was it Kal-El comes to Earth, fights for this, fights for truth, justice, the American way to follow. Like, yeah, there were some actual snappy, snappy There was like, there were snappy, like, one-two punches. And it was 100% in keeping character with his online presence, because he was always on Newsarama, he was always on CBR, yeah. like, he was always just shit-talking on any forum he can get, like... Just talking about uh, how much Paul Levitt sucks. What's really funny is that <clears throat> Bill Jemis is 100% responsible for the split between, like, at, at this timetable, Marvel and DC were truthfully bitter enemies. Like, there's there's a point, this is, was it, like, in the 90s they had Almagon where Marvel and DC actually allowed characters to be used in crossovers? It was Amalgam. Uh, they had Marvel versus they, DC. They also did the Kurt Busiek did, and George Perez did the JLA Avengers, and that was like a... Like every couple of years, they would do a like a like crossover, a, like a crossover, and everything was. And great. then they they screwed the pooch so badly on this one. Like they they made such factions. Then it started the exclusives war. So they, we'd have exclusive creators in Marvel because Paul Levitz would refuse to hire certain people from who worked for Marvel Comics and were instrumental in the new Marvel. So it's just like just became like just picking on Paul Levitz before he was like replaced by Dan DiDio. Like, and then everything just kind of became as segmented as in now. Like, it was so political, like, yeah. that everything just went off the rails. And it's basically like Bill Jem. That was like the house that Bill Jemis had built. Yeah. I, I, and you know what? In the end, it's, it's Marvel kind of, is like the it, juggernaut. It's kind of funny that, like, this was like one of the catalysts for, like, what essentially became, like, the East Coast, West Coast battle, like, gangster rap battles. It's like Marvel and DC. But this is like the shitty Tupac song yeah. that he like wrote when he was 12 years old and then never released to anyone after like he said it to his friend and they punched him in the fucking balls <laughs> and somewhere in between he just samples church lyrics in cause yeah. why not <laughs> yeah. so that that's it like he just essentially is, like alienated Marvel uh, from DC mm. and the good spirit that was the comic book so which is actually really funny because I, I was going to mention this um, when we first recorded. Marvel and DC both 
collectively own the term superhero. Yeah. Which is really funny that they have a, a tied patent pending, so they can never really be split from one another, but they feel like such two segmented entities, especially with the race for, you know, the blockbusters with the MCU clearly destroying Warner Brothers at the time that we're recording this. But then we have DC killing it and TV, but TV's yeah. a dying platform, so it's like... Uh, well, they've, they've still got... Now they're doing a lot of streaming stuff, streaming. but we'll see. We'll yeah. see. I don't know. Swamp Thing got canceled. Well, that's because the DC Universe uh, plat- app itself, as it stood, didn't have enough content, I think. And everyone is saying that they're going to fold that into the Warner Brothers one that's coming. That's going into HBO Max. Is that is HBO it? Max is the Warner Brothers one? So then, they're, uh, so is that going to tie to DC Universe? Because DC yeah, Universe, that's just... their. Actually, it's not the DC Universe because there's the DC Extended Universe, which is that's the DC Extended Universe. They're actually DC calling Universe. that. They're rebranding it to world the worlds of DC. They fucking need to because, because they, well, they, they ruined everything. They're they're doing like crisis. Yeah. It's like every like they're even doing like crisis within their movies. We're just well, like, we they're need doing to the crisis the within the TV uh, within the TV show. They're actually doing a crisis. Hopefully, they use that to rebrand everything. But they're hopefully doing, this new Joker movie that's coming I, I, I out. I think like, what they're doing is they're calling it the world of DC, split. and they're gonna do what they should have done, which is release a bunch of non-connected <laughs> um, movies that stand on their own, but that have ties to the broader DC universe, and then eventually just. Yeah. start from there so like when we have Wonder Woman and Flash and Aquaman which are sequels to movies that don't count anymore yeah <laughs> essentially it's gonna they're gonna at some point we're gonna get Days of the Future past it they're going to fix all they're this. just gonna flashpoint the whole thing yeah that, then we'll have, uh, that's actually then we'll have com- New 52 that's actually been coming and then they did, delayed it but I think they're gonna wind up flashpointing it and just starting from scratch with I mean they're already replacing Batman they're it like, won't my be bad, guys. yeah so I mean, that's where we're at, where they're at each other's throats now, but a lot of it started with this, and mm-hmm. this was the swan song for freaking Jemis' sanity. <laughs> yeah, he snapped, and he snapped hard, or he just showed and who I mean, he really what was, was the whole time. And was it two note comics that he left after this? What was it was it? a double take. Double take. So actually, uh, after this, he went to double take, uh, which is like in conjunction with, I think, Zenoscope. So- and he did a couple series there. He actually had people writing with him, though, because, like... I'm, I'm sure we'll, at some point... People we'll... did write for him. Someday we're going to get there. But he also did, uh, like, I think a one issue. Maybe it was part of a series that just stopped getting published after one, but it was called Wake the Fuck Up. Yeah. Which was published through Zenoscope, actually. But we're going to get the double take. Um, I don't... I am not excited about doing any more Gemis. Not, not for right a while. Now it we need burns a break. too hard. We, no, no, no. I, after this, we need a break. This is actually every review I've read from Marvel because the first time I read it, it was really late and I thought I was just tired and I didn't read it right. Then I read it a second time and I'm like, this is utter garbage. And then I was like, let me see what other people thought to see what their take on it. And almost everyone has agreed that this is universally known as the worst comic book series ever because it doesn't accomplish anything. It stops being a parody. It doesn't have a, a religious or political message. It doesn't accurately portray... It's the scrawlings of a madman. That is it. That's it. And on that note, let's just get into some recommendations for stuff that actually fucking makes sense. All right. You want right. to go for this one first, Bruno? The first one I'm going to do, I'm going to bypass our usual... And we'll keep this short, too, yeah. because we, we both just want to go to sleep right now. <laughs> I'm going to bypass our usual Marvel DC, and I'm going to start off by recommending Irredeemable by Boom Comics, and it is essentially... Written by Mark Wade, Not by Boom... Published by Boom Comics. Published, sorry. Mark Wade. Was it Peter Krause? 
was doing the or was it Chris Sprouse? I'm not honestly. I think it's Chris Sprouse. I'm honestly not sure. <laughs> it was some kind of house. Was it Kraus or Sprouse? <laughs> uh, but Mark Wade wrote it, and it was produced by Boom Comics. And the basic premise, and you should read the whole series. I guarantee you, once you start reading it, you won't stop. Um, it's Superman, or the Plutonian in this case, the Superman parable, um, decides to break bad. He's finally filled. Uh, he's had enough of having to deal with all these people. He goes to his 9-to-5 job. And he has to hear about how the plutonium can't lower taxes and can't fix potholes, but he can save all these things. And no one's giving him the credit it's due. And even the lowest lane to his Clark Kent shoots him down because she's too stuck up on his alter ego. And he's just like, fuck it. Why do I bother with you people? You guys just take and take and take and do nothing. And he goes nuts. He's like, I have all this power. I don't need you guys. So he just up and quits his job in true... Like, if you were Superman and you worked at a shitty job, that's what you would do. He just straight up just demolishes the office and walks out and proceeds to declare war on the world. He's like, I'm going to take over. You guys have had it long enough and you can't run shit. I'm going to do it. And then you have all of these heroes that used to work with him come together and try to stop him. And it even created a spinoff called Uncorruptible. Um, incorruptible. Was it Incorruptible? Or yeah. Not, yeah, they're both I. They're both mm. the I thing. Uh, incorruptible and that or was incorrigible <laughs> he's, just being a, he's just being a petty boy <laughs> so it's actually really funny because like his super villain that his like his counterpoint is essentially a super guido whose power is that he gets stronger but he has to like recharge in between so he's basically like a tom strong it's kind of like their version of lobo like essentially and he he finally is like well if the good guy is the world's biggest villain Like, then someone has to step up and knock the guy out. Not because it's the right thing to do, but because now I can do it and no one will give me shit for it. And then progressively, his, like, he becomes more and more, like, honorable. But keep in mind, he's still a bad guy. So there's, we might actually wind up covering it. Because there's definitely some content in there, like, him hooking up with what may or may not be a 16-year-old. Like, it, it, it does not, it does not age well. The, the spinoff. The, no, the sorry. Main... Preteen sex is what we're going to be getting into <laughs> in our next one. That's fair. When we but... get into trouble. <laughs> but the uh, but the main storyline holds as a great one. And even the you kind of want to see what his progression is. And even though it gets, you know, because they have to keep reminding you that he is an asshole. Um, he has defining, like, really good moments. So that is my take. Because all of it, if you read the entire series, I'm not going to give away the spoiler ending. But... It ties into the creation of a character that we all know and well, uh, well, and the the premise is that you take a hero who's all powerful and you can't really defeat him, but you can make him better. And so mm-hmm. it leads to, if you read the ending, you'll be like, oh, it's a nice little nod and twist to an established yeah. character. And it's basically like it, this was Mark Wade's outlet because he wrote Birthright, which yeah. was really good. Yeah, and then they never let him touch Superman, <laughs> which I think is DC's biggest mistake was not letting Mark Wade take the reins right. of Superman. And now he did this, and it was really good. I don't know, I didn't read it, but I no, remember it, hearing a lot of great it, reviews, it, it, and I'm super interested. It was a great reviews, and actually, for a long time, they were um, trying to petition this as a movie, but like this was during the time where you had like X-Men before Avengers, and people weren't sure, and they were like picturing this so, as... Like, let's come back to it, then Brightburn comes out. Yeah, they're like, like oh. picturing this as more of a franchise, <clears throat> although Brightburn might actually take off where that went and then my other recommendation if we're going to talk about genesis and the history 
the here untold history of the world, I think EarthX. Um, EarthX is this nice little uh, maxi series, essentially, um, that covers the how Mar the Marvel 616 actually existed and the secret origin behind it, in so much so that the reason powers existed and all these superheroes come up and all the powers are developing is because we're essentially Earth's antibodies. And the reason we protect the Earth is there's a celestial egg in there um, and the Celestials come by from planet to planet to judge planets worthy, and that's what they're judging, whether or not the seed will grow. And so we, you eventually find out that all of these marvels serve as antibodies and protectors of this seed, and there's this huge like sci-fi cataclysmic breakdown of how the universe exists and what the hero's purposes are in it. And you could just stop at the Earth X one because Universe X doesn't really add much to it. And per Paradise X is all about the afterlife. All of it is kind of a takeaway. It's all pretty weird, but Earth yeah. X is really good, and I can vouch for that. Yeah, and now, Alex Ross artwork is just amazing. And I think actually wasn't that uh, Doug Braithwaite did the art, and then Alex, Alex Ross, Ross covers, painted over it. And it, he did the paintings over yeah. it. Yeah. So it's still fantastic. Like same thing with uh, DC's Justice. He yeah. Did the same thing, but I think it was Braithwaite that he was doing, or Butch Guys, one of those two. They're both, like, super great anyway, and perfect. And, I mean, artwork. even though it is very prose-heavy, it's done in a good way, not like issues 3, 4, and 5, where it's just written over. It's uh, everything that's on there serves a purpose to the story. Wait, wasn't Earth-X the one where uh, the anchor got fired from Marvel because he wrote, like snuck into a panel about how happy he was that Bob Harris got fired <laughs> as Marvel editor-in-chief? So. That is it. <laughs> I, I, think. I think it was like issue five or four or something. But uh, while, while he's going in and trying to see if he can get uh, confirmation on that, I'm going to go ahead and give you my recommendations. First one, Max Howard the Duck, especially when we're talking about creationism and satirizing the state of comics and pop culture. Max Howard the Duck did it correctly. And even when we look at issue number three of Marvel, you can see that he's trying to do a take on uh, Gerber's classic Howard the Duck um, issue where he can't quite figure out how to write something. So how he gets over his writer block is that he just drops his script in there and he's just talking about how much he can't come up with something and how the duck's having a dialogue with him. So I feel like spiritually he was like Bill Jemis, if he was going for anything, was probably trying to hit on some of the beats that Steve Gerber was like famous for. And Max Howard the Duck def definitely takes care of that. And especially if we're talking about societies and the growth of society and the satire of society then dc's uh 12 issue flintstones comic uh in the heron and barbara beyond imprint was one of the funniest damn comics i have ever read and if you think for even a second that this is something that's going to ruin your childhood then, if anything, this will replace everything that came before in your it, childhood. It makes it so much better. You've, you've got to... And just given, like, one example of this, like, the Dino. Yes. Where Dino is, like, you know, in the world of Flintstones, all of the animals, they're, like, appliances. Yes, they so all the, serve a purpose. They're usually, if you call back to it, you always remember, they're all kind of depressed and like, eh, it's a living. It's a living. So, uh, the armadillo was the bowling ball. The Woolly Mammoth is the vacuum cleaner. The Pelican cleaner. was the record player. Yep. And then all of a sudden, this motherfucker, Dino, comes in, and he's just a pet, and they feed him, and he gets to do whatever the heck he wants to do. So 
it's like a take up of like house slaves versus field slaves where they all call them like a house appliance <laughs> and they try to actually kill Dino in one of the issues because they just want to replace him and like get like freed and stuff like that or just like so jealous of him but along the whole way when the appliances talk to each other like appliance please come on appliance so I was able to do a little bit of a sleuthing, and it actually wasn't EarthX, but UniverseX. UniverseX. In UniverseX, there is a Spidey story that goes on, and in one of the panels, um, written on the bookshelf, is it, it's it's written. It goes, Harris, haha, he's gone. Good riddance to bad rubbish. He was a nasty sob, and it's actually written in really like bad writing, but like, yeah. He clearly... It's, right, it's on the bookshelf, isn't it? In the bookshelf, all the different books spell out different parts. It's like the one that says, ha-ha, Harris, he's gone. One says S-O-B. And it's like, if you read it from up to down, so like whoever did this hit it, but wanted it to get through. <laughs> and was hoping nobody found it, but someone did. Because there's actually people that sit there and read everything that's on the page. Mm-hmm. So if ever you work... What was comic, the name of the anchor? I think his last name was Green or something. If ever you work in comic Green? books, let me see here... Um, Bob Green? I think it was Bob Green. Let's see here. Uh, no, Bob Harris is the one. It was... The, the inker was named. Uh, let's see here. Wow, they they go through explaining everything that happened. Uh book was written and penciled by Butch Geis. But that was the By inker. three different artists. John Reese for the present panels. John Reese and Al. Uh, and Al Milgram for the panel sent. Al Milgram. That's Al Milgram a, was the guy, not Bob Milgram. Yeah. So yeah, that's it. And also, like, if I were to give a recommendation for this recommendation, uh, going back to that, there's the sex issue of New X-Men where Ethan Van Skyver, <laughs> who's also fucking crazy, <laughs> he snuck sex into every single... But in he all, wrote sex in every single page. But in all fairness, page. he's crazy, but crazy talented. He is. So. Like, at least he produces material that you want to look at. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not like Jemis. So next episode which we actually got more out of this than i thought we would did you want to like do yours oh i already did mine how did I, you know when you were how, looking to figure out who, right. what where oh you did the, I, I didn't hear how the duck I no heard, it's okay we're both tired <laughs> we both oh screaming at this for a it long time it burned us out i'm telling you not only do we have to do this once but we've done this twice imagine have to read this first of all which I, is the, bad enough and then having to talk about this shit twice I, and try and remember everything you said about it i wish i had the time machine so i could go back to this point and be done with it you know how many good jokes we left behind <laughs> there was a whole premise about our like what pitches we did to the epic line this is just a tribute <laughs> <laughs> like it was so bad he asked me what my what my pitch was and i said my parents didn't believe in we me. don't have time for that shit anymore i know it, was, it was so, so funny, funny. <laughs> I'm going to give you props for props to do. But next time, we're actually going to get into the epic line, the ill-fated relaunch of the epic line, with one of the most infamous Spider-Man retcons of all time, written by Mark Miller, art by Terry and Rachel Dodson. And uh, this one, I can tell you having read the whole thing, instead of just reading the first two, I like this, guys. This is this is a great palette cleanser. I, I if you, you want that, pretty that, pictures to look at and some decent plotting, like this is where you want to go. Because next time on Agotic Burns, we come back and we are getting into trouble. Honestly, that's a misnomer because the one thing that this didn't do is give me trouble reading it. It was delightful. <laughs> it really is a palette cleanser. It was just it's like, Its reputation wow. and its bad covers preceded it. Yeah. So next time, guys, uh, my name is Nick. My name's Bruno. 
In the meantime, guys, good night, and let's get into trouble next time. Feliz Navidad. Take care. Oh, God, it burns.